The text for this worship service is from Philippians 1, verse 6. Let's read that once again. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, this morning we have nine young people in front of us who are about to declare that they have chosen to serve the Lord their God for the rest of their life. They want to be full members of this church and declare that they want to commit their whole life to the Lord's service as living members of this church. But how did they come to that decision? How did that all happen? The text says that God is the one who began the good work in them and that he will bring it to completion. But is that really true? Is this all God's doing? It is, of course, true that all they are doing this morning is affirming something that God has done. Already at the time of their baptism, the Lord God claimed them as his children and made his covenant promises to them. He, promises that he promised them the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. He promised that he would give them his Holy Spirit who will dwell in them and make them living members of Christ. The Holy Spirit will impart to them, as the form says, what they have in Christ until they shall finally be presented without blemish among the assembly of God's elect in life eternal. God promised to take care of us from the cradle to the grave and into eternity. And so what are these young people doing here this morning? What's now their part? How does what they do here this morning relate to what God does? What do God's promises have to do with the promises that they are about to make? For we know that God doesn't change, but people do. Frequently, they change their minds even about important things. Sometimes they even change their mind about such an important thing as belonging to this church or to any church for that matter, and sometimes they even change their minds about God. And so this morning we may have certain questions. What's going to happen to these young people? Can we be confident indeed of the fact that the Lord God, who began this work in them, will also bring it to completion? Paul expresses his confidence about the people at Philippi that their salvation is secure until the day of Christ. Can we be as sure this morning about these young people in front of us here? Well, as we will see this morning, the Lord God will finish what he started. That's also the theme. And then we will answer two questions. In the first place, what did he start? And in the second place, how will he finish it? 
The text says that God is the one who began a good work in us. Paul looks at where it all began. He writes this, first of all, to the people at Philippi. He wants them to remember how it all started. And we know from Acts 16, which we read together, how it began there. It began with a woman named Lydia who came from the city of Thyatira. She heard the message that Paul proclaimed, and so she came to believe. And a little while later, also, the jailer expressed his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There you have the beginnings of the church. For after this, the church at Philippi was established. As we know from Acts 16, verse 40, they started to meet together. Although after this experience, he left the city, at least twice, Paul came back with companions to strengthen the believers there. And then the church flourished. But when exactly did that church begin? Did that church begin when those people there started believing? Is that how God's church is established? Does it all begin with human actions? That's what we're inclined to think. Humanly speaking, we say that our faith and our joining the church depend on human decisions. Just think about how these young people came to stand in front of this church. It was their parents who brought them to the baptismal font. And then they brought them up to believe in God. And it was the parents who told them about the God of the Bible and they took them to church as soon as they were able to sit still and not disturb the worship service. They received a Christian upbringing and were sent to a parental school of like-minded parents. They sent them to catechism classes. But what if they had been born to a different family? What if they had been born to a family that did not believe in God? What if they were born a Jew or a Muslim? Or what if they were born in a country of India to a Buddhist family? Would they then be professing their faith as children of God? The same thing could be said about the church at Philippi. What if Paul had not come there? What if he had gone to a different city? Or what if those people who heard the gospel had not been in the place outside the city gates by the river when Paul preached his gospel there? And what if Lydia had stayed in Thyatira and had not traveled to Philippi at that particular time? What if she hadn't been there? Would she then have come to faith? And so isn't it all a series of coincidences, coincidences that the church at Philippi came to be established in the first place? And ultimately, isn't that true here of this church and the members of this church and these young people in front of us here? And doesn't it all depend on chance happenings and man's effort? But now look at what it says in Acts 16, verse 14. It says there about Lydia that the Lord 
opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Paul says, it is the Lord at work. And he is convinced of that. And that is also what Paul refers to here when he says that it is the Lord who began a good work in them. The Bible, and especially Paul throughout in his letter, makes clear that God is in control of everything. We may not take away from his sovereignty. The Lord God wants us to understand his power and wants us to stand in awe of him. Paul wants us to understand that we have no ability of our own. Time and again he will state that. Why is that so important? For many reasons. And one of the main reasons he mentions is that he does not want any of us to boast. And he does not want anyone to think either that he or she is capable in any way of being even in a minute way possible for his or her own salvation. But then we come back to the question of man's role. Doesn't he also determine his own destiny? Does he have no role to play? Oh, yes, he does. For it is indeed true that if it weren't for the parents who brought these young people up in the fear of the Lord, then they likely would not be standing in front of us here this morning. And also, if these young people themselves did not want to be standing here to publicly profess their faith, then that wouldn't happen either, would it? But the Bible tells us that ultimately it is so that it is God who leads your life. He is the one who causes us to be born in certain families. And he is the one who is in control of all the events of our lives. He is the one who is in control of your life to such an extent that he leads you to him and to his church, even if you weren't born to a Christian family and came to faith at a later age. It's all his doing. That's what the Bible teaches us. And so then back to that question. How now do we see the relation between God's work and man's work? How come to put it a little bit more pointedly, how come some covenant children remain faithful while others don't? There is a lot of tension and concern and sadness as we ask this question. This doctrine confuses us, doesn't it? On the one hand, we asked how God could allow us it to happen that my son, my daughter, my friend, my sister, my brother, how come they went astray? How come the one child of mine did come to faith and the other didn't? Why didn't God open the heart of the one as well as the other? What about the promises that he made? 
often we also ask our own role, ask about our own role in this. We ask, is there something that we did wrong? Was there something in the upbringing that caused my child to go astray? Or was it something that I did? Or is it something that we did as church to make them leave? The elders therefore also have questions. When someone leaves the church, and especially when he or she completely goes astray, then the elders wonder whether or not they should have allowed that person to publicly profess their faith in the first place. They wonder, was there something we missed? It's good to ask questions. God wants us to do that. It's also good to ask the hard questions. He wants us to examine ourselves and to look at where we have abrogated our responsibilities. We may, indeed, we must question ourselves. But we may not question God. Because the truth is, brothers and sisters, ultimately all things are in his hands. And only he can look into the heart of man. He knows what lives within each and every one of us. He knows everything. He knows the course of life that we are going to take. And he knows who is elect and who is not. He knows who belong to him and who don't. All those things belong to the secret knowledge of God. Those are things he can see, but we can't. And therefore, we cannot go too far in our human reasoning with this. All we can do is confess what God says in his, words, in his word. Once you understand that, then you also understand your place in it. The greatest thing that he reveals about himself is that he is the God who created all things. This whole creation is in his hands. He began this creation and he will also finish it. God doesn't leave anything unfinished. And since it is his world, he is responsible to no one. It is his to do with what he wants. God also created human beings. He created these young people. He gave them life. We could sing about that this morning when we sang from Psalm 139, stanza 9. We sang, You, Lord, when I was yet unborn, beheld my undeveloped form, and long before my life began, you and your book decreed its span. You then recorded in its pages your plan for me in all its stages. How wonderfully and accurately this rhymed version reflects what we read in the Bible. God created them. It is God's doing. And he also recreates them. This is not our doing. It is God's doing. We may never question that. All we do is stand, all we can do is stand in awe of him and give thanks. Which is exactly what Paul does 
in his letter to the Philippians. He starts off by giving thanks. The confidence that he has in God is directly tied to that of thankfulness. Take a look at verse 4. Verse 6 is dependent on verse 4. He is thankful that God led their lives so that they could be saved. And the same thing is true for us. We have to be thankful. These young people have to be thankful that they were born in Christian families where they were taught God's word. We all have to be thankful. God is at work in us and through us. And we may not deny that work of God, the almighty creator, and we may not turn our backs on him. When he has us come into contact with his word, then we have to listen to him and honor him and praise him with our mouths and our hands. The Lord God came to the people of Philippi, and when he did that, these people had to respond. Many didn't. And so those people remained in their sins. And that's their fault. But many others did. God came to them and they embraced him. As they should. And the same thing is true of these young people in front of us. They were brought up to know the Lord their God since birth. And they responded. And they continue to respond to him. For they allowed themselves to be taught. And as they grew up, they more and more embraced the gospel of salvation. Which showed in the things they said and did. You see, God holds us responsible for our actions. Oh, yes. It's not that we are fatalists. It's not as if you can say that everything is up to God. And that therefore we have no responsibility. On the contrary, since he is at work in you and comes to you with his Holy Spirit, you have to give him thanks and respond in faith. And then he will also finish what he started. The final point. Paul writes that he will carry his work on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. How can Paul be so sure that God will do that? For if that is true, then why does he still give the Philippians such great responsibility regarding their salvation? For what does he say to them? He wants them to be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, he says further on in verse 10. The day of Christ Jesus, that refers to the final day of the Lord, which is the day of judgment. And we know what the day of judgment is about, don't we? It is the day of your final exam. And then God will look at your words and everything you have done and said throughout your life and he will confront you with that. And now we have to be considered pure and blameless on that day. How in the world can that be? Doesn't Paul realize that nothing good dwells within man? Does he not realize how weak man is? How he struggles daily with his sins and even with his faith? Oh yes, brothers and sisters, Paul realizes that full well. 
And that is why he mentions the name Lord Jesus Christ. He speaks in verse 11 about the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. The fruit of righteousness through Jesus Christ. Let that sink in for a moment. Fruit. Fruit is something that grows on a tree. And that tree is the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see, that fruit of the Lord Jesus Christ is made available to you. And now, like you pick an apple from a tree, you have to pick that fruit of righteousness from the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, you have to believe in him and accept him and all his benefits. That's what's required. And when you believe that and accept that, then the righteousness of Christ is yours. But then even your faith, as it says in Philippians 2, is a gift of God so that no one boasts. It is all God's doing. He is at work. Christ's righteousness is yours through faith no matter what happens to you in this life, no matter what sins you have committed. If you go to the tree of Christ, then you receive his righteousness. Righteousness has to do with the fact that you stand blameless before God. And then as far as the doing of the law is concerned, you are innocent. That takes effort. Harvesting fruit is not a passive activity. No, you have to battle thorns and thistles and all kinds of hardships in order to be able to pick that fruit. But that is why Paul says further in this letter, in chapter 2, verse 12, that they, now listen carefully, that they must work out their salvation, and here it comes, with fear and trembling. With fear and trembling. But then he adds something, something very important, and he says the same thing as he says here in this text. For God is at work in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. You see, you don't stand alone. He guides you every step of the way. He has guided you, young people, to this moment in your life. Step by step, he has taken you by the hand. And he will continue to do that. Don't withdraw your hand, for God is at work in you now and forever. He will be at work in you throughout your whole life. He's not going to leave you alone. And he will never take away his promises. God, as we will sing in a moment, will remain faithful. He does what he says he is going to do. He does not take those promises away from those who have walked away from him either. Also, the ones who in the past have turned their back on this church and on God. He does not leave them alone. For they have been brought up with the gospel of salvation. They know what it means to belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And God keeps on calling all of them back to faithfulness. Back to faithfulness. Oh, sure, it may be that some of them never do return. That they will continue to reject God in their lives to the bitter end. We don't know what's going to happen to them. God knows. 
Let's not delve into the secret things of God. But there is one thing he wants us to be assured of, and that is of his election as his children. How do you know when you are elect? By the fruit of your faith. As long as you keep on believing, even though you fall into sin time and again, you can be sure of your salvation. You do not have to doubt. You do not have to fear for your salvation. Although the doctrine of election belongs to the secret things of God, you can be sure of your own salvation if you also show the fruit of your election. And that fruit is shown when you continue to exercise your faith, when you continue to show in your life that you are a believer, when you continue to be thankful for God that he has plucked you out of this world and placed you within a Christian family and within this church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you may say, well, does it still depend on me? God chooses me on the basis of what I have done and rejects others on the basis of what they have done. It is true that God holds you responsible for your unbelief. And that is why those who do not believe stand condemned. But the wonderful comforting knowledge is that when it comes to your salvation, God is doing his work in you and he will finish what he began. And that's the way it has to be. For you and I cannot do anything of ourselves. It doesn't mean that we do not have to make any efforts. Yes, we have to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But God is there to hold your hand every step of the way throughout your whole life. And he reminds you of the promises that he has made to you already at the time of your baptism. He reminds you that he is the almighty creator who will bring this creation to its glorious end and that you may be an integral part in this. God has a plan for you. Whatever trials you may have to endure, he will help you to persevere. You can be confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's a sure thing. All you have to do is believe. Amen.